0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of No Pointers with your hosts, Gerald, Stephen, and Mark. Today, we will be talking about mobile DevOps, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So stay tuned. <music> So unless you've been developing under a rock you must have heard about continuous integration and continuous deployment by now aka devops in this episode we will be talking about some of our own experience with mobile devops which is a world of hurt on its own but first what did you do this week
1: steven i actually looked at the spacex launch the first ever commercial flight going all the way up to the international space station so i was i was wondering like How far off is it before we can all go into space and would you go? That that might even be the more important question. Would you go?
2: I think it depends on the queue in front of the the launch pad, actually. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, why not? I think that it could be quite a ride up, uh, some G's and then, yeah. But I I heard, I heard the first time that you actually up in space, you, you, you tend to get, um, unwell in your tummy. Because of the zero gravity, but I think I think I would enjoy the experience. Depends on the price tag, though. Really depends on that.
0: Yeah. So, and I mean, if you're going down in a plane, you'll be dead. If you go down in a in a rocket, you'll be dead too. So, from that point of view, it doesn't really matter, right?
2: No. That's really romantic, kind of. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I am such an optimistic guy.
0: Going down in a blaze of fire. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah. Uh, but does anyone know uh, when, when are the, the, the really commercial flights? So so when can um, mere mortals like, like us can, can join an actual flight? Do we know that?
1: I think if you have the cash, you can probably get there very soon. I, I have no concrete date
0: hmm. that I know of. It's probably in uh, in the in the SpaceX plan somewhere.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they they're trying to reduce the costs by reusing uh, parts of the the rocket, so they they really want to bring down the costs. And uh, they still got this uh, much larger rocket that they plan to use for colonizing Mars, which is also still on their roadmap. And um, yeah, I think the ultimate goal is to to bring the price tag down. And it's not only SpaceX that's doing it. There are various other companies uh, that are also attempting to uh, provide uh, a commercial way of transporting humans through space. I mean, there's one from Jeff Bezos, um, and
0: wasn't Virgin uh, from uh, what's his name, Richard Branson? Ah, thank you, Richard Branson. Yes, wasn't uh, wasn't he involved in in something like that as well? Well, anyway, there's there's multiple companies because you know the first one that can do it will probably get. Uh, a whole lot of money while uh, while doing so. So it's very interesting technology. Um, I must say, I'm not really someone who really follows everything. Um, I think there's been multiple launches from from also from SpaceX uh, where they try to validate their idea to to send out a rocket and and let it land in one piece, so not destroying the rocket while doing so. Uh, so that's probably the thing that you were talking about, uh, Mark.
1: Yeah. So with that, I think. A nice segue is obviously very obvious do they do mobile devops (laughs) because i saw their dashboards were like yes reactor or some some form of i think web framework
0: i'm not sure some some kind of web framework yeah that's that's i saw that coming by on twitter as well
2: i thought i thought the the segue would be the blazing ball of fire from gerald but Let's go with this. Sounds yeah, optimistic.
0: this is, this is this is better. This is better. Yeah. All right. So, mobile DevOps. Why even bother? What what is it? What is it? Why should we do it?
1: What is it? Well, it's it's basically an automated process that builds your app, pushes it out to your testers, your users, and and all the stuff in between um, that you would normally have to do manually. So that obviously. Even extends beyond that into gathering analytics or maybe running some automated tests. Um, basically, that entire life cycle flow of your app, uh, all the way up to the app store, all automated. That that's pretty much the basics of it. Um, and why would you do it? Because you don't have to manually do it.
0: Yeah. So I think if you look at it in a bit broader sense, like that's that's you, you name a couple of things that are specific to mobile, but yeah, DevOps and it's basically whatever you make of it, right? I mean, there's, there's no such thing as one DevOps pipeline or one automated thing to do things, but it's, it's like you say, you just have all these tasks that you need to do to roll out a new version. You obviously in the very basics, um, you have to make a build of your application, um, maybe depending on if you are releasing that to your, Um, testing environment or just your development environment or your production environment you need to uh, put in a a, a, some different settings a different endpoint where it should connect you Uh, if you look specifically at the mobile things you might need to generate some um, certificates that's where the herding starts uh, for ios for example Um, and you know you have to do all these kinds of things um, uh, that you you would normally do uh, manually, but but now you put it in an automated pipeline, um, and it will it will happen at the click of a button or some other trigger that you you have set. Um, but you know you can all set it up in in the way that you uh, that you want and and what's right for your requirements, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think circling back to the why, I mean, DevOps is is also a bit of a culture. I think um, it's not just the tooling. Uh, it's, it's it's like the merging of, of development and operations. And I think in the mobile world, operations is a bit special because usually uh, you have no IT folks operating the mobile device that's in the pockets of your user. So, uh, But there are other aspects that come to mind, like uh, many that you and Stephen have already mentioned, which are uh, analyzing how the app is doing out in the wild. And I think also automating a lot of the steps along the way so you can actually be able to produce updates quickly and you know that what's rolling out of uh, your uh, factory is actually working because it's tested and you know that all the certificates have been applied correctly and all that and you you do not always have to make a big hassle out of releasing new updates. and. I think that's, for me, one of the main parts why I think this DevOps culture is is a great thing also when developing mobile, because you can iterate more quickly, you can bring out more features. And also, if you do a bug, I mean, none of us here on the podcast actually even knows what the bug is, because we never write them, which is write features that users may not like. Obviously. Um, but yeah, you can you could then uh, correct those features also
0: quicker. yeah yeah so i i think you touched there on a couple of important things why you should even do this right and uh again it all depends on what requirements you have uh what size of team you're working with what environment you're working with etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's a million ways to to set up your environment but I, I mean why would you even do it i think that's that's a very very simple question if you're just one person. Uh, I mean, we've talked about the open source uh, before in, in a previous episode. Uh, we we have some open source projects uh, which might be a library or which might be some some sample app that we've used. Uh, but it's with the tools today, it's so very easy to set up with Azure DevOps or GitHub Actions um, to just trigger a build whenever something happens, um, and that's just a sanity check that it doesn't just work on your machine, right? That's the the famous saying uh, it works on my machine so it must work everywhere right uh well it's not right it it doesn't happen that way it's not a perfect world okay um so just to validate that um you you can have this automated build to see if if it builds somewhere else if maybe you have a file locally that you forgot to put in you into your git repository um, or i don't know something else um, so, I mean, that's that's just one of the simple basics that why should you even do it?
2: Absolutely. And I think you touched on a really great point why you want to automate. It's like works on my machine. Also means if it only works on your machine, you're never allowed to go on vacation. And if you like going on vacation or would also like to enjoy your off time, uh, I think it's really good if it ch- doesn't just only work on your machine. Yeah, and the, the, from a technical perspective
1: having it defined centrally in a pipeline makes it repeatable meaning that it should always work the same there are obviously caveats here but it should all work the same every time you trigger
0: it yeah and that's that's exactly why you do it i mean it has to go through the same process again um, it should work all the time. If it doesn't, then you need to figure out, is it either my code? Uh, is it something that I changed? Or maybe, I mean, that's that's something valid as well. Uh, do you maybe need to change something in your pipeline? I mean, something might have changed in your configuration, in your solution, in your project setup, um, and that might require a change in your automated pipeline. That's, that's no problem. Uh, but at least you'll get some indication, some signal that something is wrong. Um, it, it can't be reproduced this time, um, the build doesn't happen as it's supposed to be, and then you have some more work to figure out why that's happening.
2: So what is your favorite way of setting up your continuous integration, your, your build, your testing process? What are the tools that you use or can recommend? I'm personally very partial to Azure DevOps, um,
1: obviously because all our code already exists in there from a um, day job perspective. Um, so all our code resides there. So it only makes sense to set it up in there. And it also keeps it all boxed into the same little organizational bubble. Um, I personally, and and here comes the first, oh no, he didn't. Um, I don't like YAML for building my pipelines, which is a, a markup. Oh no, he didn't. Oh no, he didn't. Uh, it, that's basically a, a markup language for defining all your steps in your pipeline. Um, and I'm, I'm very much a visual person. I, I need to click things and drag things together. Um, I, I don't like all these magic commands that I don't know from the top of my head. And yeah, it, it just doesn't really feel good
0: not just magic commands. You, you have to know how much indentations you need to do. I mean, it's crazy, come on.
1: Yeah, um, so yeah, for me, it's it's definitely Azure DevOps um, and, and for later stages, App Center at the moment, um, which is more for the deployment to specific groups of users and for basic analytics.
2: With the irony being that YAML stands for YAML Ain't Markup Language. But yeah, I, I fully agree. Uh, I think YAML can be can be tough to maintain, but it's also I think a, a nice way to check in your build process uh, with your code, so it lives side by side. Uh, have you ever used uh, a build tool like uh, Cake or Fake, or um, which you can also describe your build steps, um, but you could also run them locally, not only on Azure DevOps?
0: I personally haven't. Uh, I think they're. They're great tool. I think with Cake, you can you can even write C sharp code, right? That that runs your build for a little bit. I'm I'm not really up to date with with these kinds of tooling, to be honest. Me neither. Like like Stephen, if we if we go back to the the tools, um, yeah, I think we're all mostly Microsoft minded. So and then if we look specifically to to mobile, then yeah, it's Azure DevOps, uh, App Center. I've used uh, some while ago and I'm talking years ago, Bitrise, which is a a, uh, free solution that back then was unique, I think, because they were offering um, Mac OS builds. So the thing with iOS is that you still need a Mac to actually compile your iOS app, at least up to the point where you want to distribute it in the app store. And I think they were the first... Um, at least the first that I know of, to um, introduce actual Mac hardware to run those builds for you. Um, Right now, you can do that in Azure DevOps and and App Center as well, but they were before that. Um, Yeah, and I think the the thing that's happening with all these solutions is um, they... Are just trying to lock you into their ecosystem, right? I mean, it's not just the build anymore; it's also the testing, it's also the deployment, it's also the analytics. They're they're bundling this into um, one big package and and trying to keep you there for all the things. Um, and then with an Azure DevOps, you also take into account Teams or SharePoint or whatever, and it all connects so nicely, so you, so you never want to leave. Um, but yeah, you know. Um, it all—it's all going to YAML right now, and I think that is a standard uh, that's being adopted across a whole bunch of tools. Um, so yeah, you can you can easily export that to someone in something else as well. Um, but this is nowhere near an answer to your question. No, I've never used Cake or Fake or anything.
2: Well, I've—I've I've only used uh, them briefly and. and... The hobby projects, mainly, um, or, or open source projects, I must say, say. Uh, I think the major benefit from using a, a tool like one of those is it's. I think it originates all from this, um, from Make, which was originally for C, C++. I'm not quite sure which one. And so what you can do is you can define your entire build like you would do it on YAML, uh, like the the build steps that you would do. And what I really liked about it is you can then execute your build also on your local hardware because usually when you commit uh, to a to a uh, build devops provider um, i i also use azure devops a lot Um, you usually are your build scripts are locked into that environment so if i want to test the build or if something is not quite right i always have to publish uh, new changes up to the build host and then wait for them to run there and using a script like this actually means i can usually iterate faster because it can focus on the parts that actually changed or or need changing. And I really like that aspect, but I will admit that most of my builds are set up in YAML. And as I said before, I think the really nice thing about YAML is it it lives in your code directory. You can also split up your YAML files for Azure DevOps. So it can have like a a master template, which uh, has like some environment variables like uh, which version of the build tool chains i'm using stuff like that um which really helps because that means i then have all my builds in sync and then i have for the specific uh builds for for a project which may may vary i can then easily uh have those in in another file which then live in that repository
0: yeah yeah so i totally see the power of yaml but it's it's just very hard to compose i mean and I think that that's even possible in Azure DevOps right now. I mean, just show me the visual editor, and I'll do it in there. And if that that produces a YAML, then that's fine. Um, but just give me the visual editor. Yeah. But but yeah, it, it's, it's and what you say, like running it on your own local machine. Um, because, well, today we're just used to having these build agents that give us, well, it's not really unlimited, but. Um, uh, you will have to do your very best to reach that limit. Um, we have to build agents supplied by us by Microsoft or, or whatever you're using. Uh, but you know before if you were old like us then you might remember the, the days from TFS which is the basically the self-hosted um, Azure DevOps. And you had to set up your build agents yourself, so you had would have actual machines running somewhere that that would actually do the build, and you would have to configure those. And if they were on fire, you had to put out the fire yourself and buy new hardware. Um, but that's that's all running in in the cloud right now. That's that's really cool. You don't even have to think about that part anymore. Yeah, I re- faintly
1: remember some Mac Minis in a corner. Yep. Um, making a lot of noise when a build was requested um, so yeah we've, we've definitely gone away from from that era
0: but that also comes with some interesting challenges I mean a lot of this is open source um, and you're sending actual things into the cloud right now so machines that you do not actually own or host or have access to yourself so how how do you do that with with secrets for instance I mean you have API keys you have certificates, um, how does that work?
1: Yeah, for, for me, it's uh, there's a, a secure storage type area in, in Azure DevOps where you can upload all sorts of files like certificates or signing keys and all that stuff. Um, and it's, it's pretty much a boxed off area that you have to uh, engage with in a very specific way in your build steps to get all that data. And whenever you also, for example, if you, if you put in a password as a variable somewhere in your pipeline and you tell it that it's an actual password, then there's no real way to get that back out again. It will it just won't let you or show you that actual password. So yeah, there, there are some things in place for, for that kind of stuff. Um, and I know that there's also the mobile build tools, I think it's called um that also does secrets um i think it's a nuget package by dan siegel but i haven't used it myself yet but i know that that generates a secret file on build somewhere
2: i use the same process as steven just described there's the secret area where you can upload your certificates that you usually need for signing your apps and if you need uh, passwords, usually to use certificates, you can pass them as variables and then just mark them as a, as a secret password and they will then no longer show up in the logs. It's also really nice because that means you can actually put in the secrets and even if someone has an some access to the build, he can no longer see the secret, which sometimes is a requirement when you do that. And by using these mechanisms, you can actually securely upload those secrets. They will be then copied down to the build agent And if you're using the hosted build agent, um, I think it's good to know that that agent will be scrapped every time a build has run through. So if a successor comes onto the machine and starts doing funny things for looking for certificates and stuff like that, he will no longer find anything because it's uh, literally like a new machine
0: yeah yeah definitely those hosted machines are, are recycled and you still have the possibility if you really want to like like Stephen just mentioned we we would have when we were working together we would have a a mac mini which had two cables which one of them was power and the other one was a network um and and you could run the the build agent bits on that thing as well and connect that to your azure devops account uh, so it would just reach out and and, and you can determine which build agent Needs to be used depending on the requirement. So, it would see whenever a iOS app was supposed to be building, um, it would reach out to that um, uh, that actual Mac Mini that was on our desk, uh, send the source, the needed source, and the things over there. Um, it will actually download the, the the build steps on on that thing. Um, run the build and upload the resulting bits back to the Azure DevOps account. So that's really cool. And that's still something that you can do um, if, if you have some special requirements there as well, Um, I think for, for, for the secrets, I think you also have like the, the Azure key vault, right. Which is a very awesome solution. Um, So that is basically a hosted in the cloud um, key vault uh, as the name implies. Uh, where you can also, with some heavy encryption, uh, put in files and strings and whatever, and get them out by by using an API. I wouldn't be, I, I haven't really used it in uh, in a build environment yet, an automated build environment. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's there's uh, built tasks for that in in Azure DevOps built in today.
2: Absolutely, and for me, the point that make me go over to the hosted build agents like the agents that i managed by microsoft is i remember we used to have three mac minis uh which all had to be kept up to date kept in sync and uh when we used to maintain them ourselves there, there was like always the rumors sometimes going through the teams oh just make sure you run on agent number one or agent number two because that's properly configured and uh i think it sometimes can boil down to, do you have the resources to manage uh, your build agents? Because if you have, and if you have the know-how, you can host them yourself. Um, But if you don't, I think using a hosted build agent can be really great uh, to get started and to not get bogged down with uh, keeping the thing up to date and alive. I was wondering, how do you guys handle testing when you build automated? Do you use unit tests, integration tests, UI tests? So for mobile, that's that's a world of its own.
0: Um, I mean, unit tests, integration tests. I mean, integration tests already are a little bit harder. Unit tests are obviously um, most of the time they're they're pretty easy to do. Some specific cases you might need to run the unit test on actual devices as well, which makes it a bit harder again too, uh, but not undoable. Um, If you go into the world of UI tests. Well, then you're in for a fun ride. Um, I mean, there's, there's multiple solutions for that as well. And what I've worked mostly, which is a very awesome solution, is, again, uh, within App Center. So before App Center was App Center, you had a couple of different solutions um, different companies, actually, that were acquired by Microsoft and now combined into one product. Um actually this came together with xamarin so before it was called xamarin test cloud and now it's um app center test cloud i think they still kept that name around uh, but what it does is uh, it provides you with a cloud of actual devices i think they're safely in a warehouse in denmark um where there are literally thousands of devices with all kinds of different configurations Um, android ios ipads tablets um, different ios versions different android versions um, hooked up to 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 their uh, chargers and just waiting for test runs to come in so you can write pieces of c-sharp script Um, i think you can do it in in a variety of languages and and frameworks Uh, but you can write it in c-sharp Um, your ui tests you can send that over to the cloud and it will run it on the devices that you select um, which is a pretty awesome solution but it's very hard to get it right and to get them um, to run stably Um, is that a word stable Uh, to get them to run stable and and reproducible Um, but it's it's a it's a very cool solution very expensive one too
1: Yeah, we we currently have one guy in our team pretty much dedicated to building those. Um, But yeah, definitely, like you said, uh, the the data part is what makes that very tricky. Obviously, if you're calling APIs and all that stuff, you might not wanna mutate that data um, or maybe the internet connection from them, Mark, is a bit shoddy and it takes longer than you anticipate and your test fails. So I would pretty much since you're actually UI testing, you're, you're checking if things look good and are reachable and and all that stuff. Um, You could obviously make a mock API kind of layer. Um, If you have that nicely tucked away behind an interface, you can pretty much write a a mock out of that just for uh, UI testing. And I think that that's pretty much the best way to go for that because yeah, that you'll you'll never know for sure if you're actually calling APIs if it's all reachable and and responsive as you hope.
0: Yeah, so that's 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 one of the big challenges with testing, right? So you really have to look into what do you want to test and how do you want to do that. Because if you're writing UI tests that connect to actual APIs, um, then yeah, you're also doing your integration tests, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but Um, then ideally you would have the same data set that is deployed each time because then only then you will have uh, predictable results because you know which results you can expect back, uh, what data you can send there. And whenever your test is done, you can reset that environment and do the whole thing um, just like you did this time. Uh, But if you just want to test the UI things, I I remember one of the first tests that I, I actually did with this that was back in the time when uh, the iPhone 6 came out. Um, and I still had, no, actually, it was the other way around. The iPhone 6 was already out. Um, and I built the app like for the nice bigger screen because the iPhone 6 was a little bit bigger than, than the 5. Um, so I, I, I placed the UI elements very pretty. Um, I had this button that would trigger the login UI at the very bottom. Uh, but I forgot to put in like something responsive or something, a scroll view or anything. So I ran a test on uh, a smaller form factor, so the iPhone 5, and it would fail because it could not reach that that button. It was off screen. Um, so I need to put in a, a scroll view or make sure that the button was, was shown at the bottom for a smaller form factor as well. Um, and that stuff is really, really powerful to detect. So you can't have all the devices and go through those tests manually. Um, but you, you can detect these kinds of, yeah, really stupid mistakes actually, um, with, with these kinds of solutions. So that's really cool.
2: Yeah, you're totally right. Hearing you two absolutely reminded me of, of, uh, of a lot of things or uh, past projects that I've been working on. I mean, you have, you have like you both mentioned it, Stephen Gerald, we have these different kinds of tests that we can use. We can, we got unit tests. Uh, they run super fast. We have integration tests where we test a bit more. And then we have the UI tests uh, for mobile apps, which I like to think of as system tests because you actually usually test the entire system. Unless like Steven said, you swap out certain parts in your mobile app where you then start faking stuff. And what? Uh, astonished me the first time I was writing UI tests. I thought, great, I'll just I'll just write UI tests from now on because I'm in testing the entire code and that's super easy. And then you run the test and suddenly you notice like, wow, this thing takes forever. And oftentimes how you write UI tests is you make an action. Like you say, uh, click that button and then do this and then do that. That's how you used to write tests. But when you write UI tests, what you usually do, end up doing is like, wait until you can see the button, click the button, wait until you can see the next action, do the next action, and and those things, they tend to pile up and they take quite long. And also because you test so much code, it can be difficult to pinpoint where the fault then lies. I mean, it could be a a bad internet connection, as Stephen said, or it could also be some logic error that you have. But pinpointing that can be really hard. That's why I usually like to write... um, automated tests for testing the logic that can be also executed on a on a continuous integration bill because they execute so quickly i get the feedback and the added time that a bill takes is is so negligible that it's it's a really good um indicator if if the logic is still sound uh, especially since I personally also sometimes forget to run those unit tests on my machine and it goes into the master branch or sometimes you have a continuous integration build and they will warn you like, um, mate, you broke something here. And using then the the larger tests only like on nightly builds so or stuff like that, because I think they can add a, a real great value. And for me, UI tests, how I tend to use them, and it, I mean, it depends on project on project and on team on team, is uh, running through the core use use case scenarios on the UI because then you can see are the core use cases still working. And if you have the budget, because it takes a long time for them to run and that costs and the only way how you can bring down the time is paralyzing and that usually costs you extra money. Um, so you, you tend to want to have a smaller test set for UI tests. Uh, and so if you've got the core cases covered, I think you can then really also have a great, um, yeah, trust in your released app that it's actually working as it should. but that being said, I never released an app where there was no human testing involved so I think this might be a nice segue over to how we can actually deploy our apps. How do you push the apps to your users, Stephen App Center um, it's it's
1: come out a few times already in this in this little pod but um, before that it was Hockey app. We went through those days um, to get it into our beta tester's hands. And at the moment, what we do is we have um, a build pipeline that actually builds three versions of the same app. Um, One pointing at a dev environment, one at test, one at prod. And um, basically to have them all have the same version number and know that it's the exact same code going in there. Um, So we can take the test version... Uh, that we push out to our testers. And if they approve it, we can take the same production version and push that into production.
0: Yeah, so because that's that's another challenge that you have with, with mobile applications versus the rest, right? Because normally, air quotes uh, with a a normal application. If you think uh, uh, like a a exe uh, or a asp.net solution or something like that, you will just have a bunch of binaries. And you might need to change some images or some configuration. But those are all in in XML, JSON, or heck, in YAML files, right? Um, So you can easily change those between um, different environments. But for mobile applications, it will be one binary. Um, It will be an IPA or an APK. So it's, well, nearly impossible to create the exact same bits um, that go to test um, and then production. Um, And that's ideally what you want, right? I mean, you have this one build that is conform your automated build pipeline. It does all the quality checks and you want that exact same build to go to the next stage and to end up in production, um, if if it's good enough, but that's something that's yeah, like I said, almost impossible to do for a mobile app. Um, so yeah, that is one of the ways around it to just build three versions in in one go to stay as close to that that same build as possible. Uh, but they all three just have yeah some some minor changes in. Uh, maybe a different icon to indicate that it's a dev version or at least some kind of configuration changes that it connects to different endpoints
2: mobile devops is hard isn't it so Stephen mentioned before App Center. Uh, I think App Center is super great to push out new builds. But if you look around, you can also see that Google in the Google Play Store and Apple on the App Store with uh, Test Flight, they actually also provide better platforms. Now, what, what do you think should be the choice? When should you use one of those better platforms provided by the store? And, and when should you stick to Test Flight?
0: Yeah, so App Center has a built in solution for. Uh, deploying applications Um, and what you need to do I mean for Android it's all pretty easy actually you can do it through App Center you can send an APK through mail I mean you can do whatever they don't really care Um, but for iOS it's a different story you have to know what devices are going to run this specific version you need to collect their unique device ID Um, Whenever you get that, you need to generate a new certificate, sign your application, um, and only then that tester can also try that your version of the app, uh, which is a real pain. So for App Center, they have made that as easy as possible to do. Uh, But you would still need to have a separate App Center account, go through all the hoops there. Um, then you need to actually register your device. Uh, it will make a new build um, on the spot and provide you with that. But it's it's a big hassle again. Uh, meanwhile, Test flight has opened up a little bit. So Test flight is the um, Apple way of, of testing apps. Um, and they actually created this thing called uh, public betas, I think, where you can finally just uh, say, OK, I want to have at maximum, I think, a 1,000 users to, to test it or something. Uh, but then you don't need a restriction for the devices or it does some magic underneath, I don't know. But it, it's at least much, much easier for users to get on board and um, get the app. You can just send them a link, have them sign up, um, and they will get the version uh, from there. And for test flight, it's like a separate App Store just for testing apps. Um, I don't know how it is these days if they change anything for Google, uh, but I found the way they did it to be very confusing. Um, so you can also have um, multiple stages there, alpha, beta, and, and production, of course. Uh, but what that would do if a user would sign up, it would just get the app through the regular uh, App Store which is, at the one hand, very easy for the user because it it just looks and feels like any other app. On the other hand, it's very hard to explain to them how to go back to the actual production app that might be in the regular store, so how to unassign from the beta and uh, go back to to a regular version. but, you know with with everything app center and azure devops etc um, you can really mix and match what you want to use um, it's all built api first so if you have a build pipeline uh, set up you can from azure devops directly connect to the stores from um, apple and google and, and send versions there or you can still send it to app center and deploy it from there to the right uh, uh, stores uh, or deploy it from from App Center directly. Uh, what would be? I mean, I think you have more experience there, Stephen. Why? Why would you choose one over the other? I don't necessarily have
1: a great reason for that, to be honest. Um, I just like the fact that it, it's bundled a bit more into App Center. We do we do a lot of stuff there already? um and just having that in there as well felt like a logical choice i'm also not entirely sure if test flight builds on the apple side need to be approved i don't think that approval takes very long but
0: yeah it's it's a bit special for the for the first version i think it needs to go through the full review i think uh, or at least a little bit longer one and then at, as long as you do dot releases so minor releases then it it will go through almost instantly. At least that was uh, what it was when I I was still working on those things.
2: Yeah, so I think one can say that deploying apps can make your head hurt a bit. For, for me uh, asking the question and then trying to provide now the answer that, that I don't know <laughs> be mean try asking a question I uh, like that um for, for me it's like appsense I think it's it's super great because it's it's really quick to integrate um you can push out builds directly from azure devops and then you have them there it's for for Android as you said Gerald, it's quite easy to install for because uh, you can simply navigate to the link and then download it. Uh, you sometimes have to give permission, or usually have to give permission to install apps from non Google Play Store places, uh, which can be a problem when working together with a clients that might have uh, devices that are managed by their IT, because they will prohibit users to do to install apps from from a different source, and uh, so. For me, I think it's if you it depends how tech savvy your users are, and uh, you can then use App Center for for a lot of things. You can also push up updates. You can enable uh, in App Center the option that it will check on app startup if there is a new version on App Center, and then they, you can then say yes, get me the new version. Uh, you can also make that mandatory and stuff like that. Um, so App Center brings you a long way. I think for me, where these better stores the officials like the test flights and the google play uh, actually come into play is when you want to roll it out to, to a wider set as you said gerald uh apple is quite complicated to bring out releases because you either have to know the unique identifier or you need an enterprise certificate and the enterprise certificate comes with some legal disclaimers so you can't always use it and so but um once you submitted your apps to test flight you will get then the official signature from apple so you can just invite people based on their email address that they use for the stores and they can then install that app uh, which makes it a lot simpler to distribute it to provider user bases. and another nice thing about test flight and for google play i think it's the alpha channel uh, is you can make uh, releases that are not yet seen in the store. So if you're making a brand new app and no one should know about it or you don't want to let people know about it until it's uh, ready, uh, you can then uh, place it there. And for the test flight, uh, I just ha- did it uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yes, you will. the initial build that you sent up, you will have to do it A, from a Mac, and B, it will be tested. But it's, it's a smaller test. It's not the full test that it runs through. And after that, you have to be very. There are two version numbers for Android and iOS. But in iOS, there's um, the you should only increment the build version number. Then you're uh, then it will be way quicker up yep. in test flight. That's if right. you increment the major version number, as you said before, uh, you will go again through the test process. But usually, for me in experience, it's about a day. And since I think most tests are taking place in the US, it's like uh, you get one good night's sleep, and it will be ready for you so yeah
0: okay so once it's out in the open i think we've also mentioned a little bit about uh, logging analytics that's that's basically closing the circle going full circle um i i really remember whenever i I, that was even in in in, for windows phone i released my first app and i was i don't know what i was expecting like uh, fireworks and and a big celebration unicorns everything uh, but I just pushed the button and it went out. And yeah, I was like, now what? I don't know. I don't know how my app is doing. I don't know how many users are using it, um, how they're using it. So are there any solutions for that as well? Instant five-star
1: reviews, right? I mean... The-
0: you could just buy them.
1: Yeah, just, just buy them. Um, <laughs> so regarding logging, yeah, I, I seem like a broken record at this point. But App Center obviously has parts of that as well. Um, but another one that is, well, maybe not so obvious for apps uh, is, is Google Analytics. I mean, um, I think it's currently more in the Firebase direction of, of products uh, that Google places that, but it it is very similar to Google Analytics. And I think under the hood, they use pretty much the same thing, um, which is mostly actually for analytics, not necessarily crash logs or or errors or that kind of stuff. I think there's separate stuff in the Firebase suite for that as well. Um, But definitely in in the direction of what is my user base and where are they coming from, um, which could, for example, help you when you want to localize your app. Uh, You need to know which languages you want to localize first. so all that stuff from analytics on, on the Google side is pretty pretty powerful. From what I can tell, um, you can define events. Uh, tell, uh, for example, if you're loading a specific page or clicking certain buttons. So you can you can really trace what routes people are using in your app.
0: Yeah. So I I, I basically hear two things, right? Uh, one is more like the the technical side of logging. So that that would be. More the interest of a developer whenever something crashes or, um, yeah, things like that, mostly crashes, errors. Um, and the other thing is more analytics, right? So that might be more of interest to more businessy people, like where is my app used the most? Um, and it, like you say, okay, uh, maybe even some A B testing. Uh, we have uh, two options to get to the same page. Uh, which option is used the most? Um. So yeah, I've I've used App Center for that as well, uh, and I think it's it's very very easy to set up. Uh, for the logging, I mean, you're mostly interested in in like the hard crashes, and I think for both the the technical logging and the analytics, it's just put in the NuGet package, do one line of initialization code, and you're basically good to go. Um, so you will detect like if if the app really crashes it will send the stack trace over to you automatically Um, and you can also do like handle the exceptions yourself since a couple of versions i think
2: yeah you can actually do that you can i think it's called error logging where you can then uh, in the catch of your exceptions you can then uh, log it as an error that came through and it will then also show up on as you described the technical side and I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, I think it's it's like two worlds that you have. One is uh, you can see if your app is running into issues and what kind of issues you have. Now, I can only speak from App Center out of my personal experience here, but what I really like there is it will group your errors. So you all know which errors frustrates the most users. And what I like about that is If you have manual testers, usually the one with the loudest voice screaming at you will tell you what the bugs are. And having a dashboard like this will actually be more informative because you can actually see what errors are happening. You can also see on what kind of devices those errors are happening. And that can be really helpful for the developer to, and also the team in general to uh, see which errors are most pushing and then also have detailed information where the error occurs and that's really nice. For the logging site, um, I see it also more as a tool for business. So you can actually have a strategy. Uh, you might be interested, what parts of my app are used, uh, what kinds of information is, is mostly looked at, and then uh, perhaps redesign the app around those parts or know where you should invest more time because the users are mostly interested in that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, and for both the the yeah, uh, I'll just keep calling technical logging and and the analytics part. I mean, you have so much flexibility because you can. Um, and uh, again, I'm talking about App Center uh, here, but I'm I'm sure it's true for other solutions that might be might be out there. Um, I mean, you can define your own custom errors. So you can just catch exceptions that you want to know are happening, but not necessarily crash your app and send that information over. Uh, Also for the analytics part. um, Yeah. If you want to use it for AB testing or other kinds of testing, or just want to see how users are navigating through your app, uh, you can define all kinds of custom events with all kinds of data that you can, can send with that. Um, of course, a little disclaimer, uh, please take into account all the privacy things, GDPR, make clear to the user that you are sending all kinds of information, um, have an option to, to opt out of that because it's very easy to catch passwords, usernames, everything, and, and send that over to, to you. Uh, that's not something that you want to do. So be very mindful whenever you um, yeah, put stuff like that into, into your application. Um, So I think with that, we have gone full circle with the whole build pipeline. Uh, This episode is a little bit longer than you might be um, used from us, but there's so much to talk about. So maybe we should do some um, follow up episodes on um, going deep dive on, on one specific topic here. Uh, If that's something you want, please let us know. And uh, I think that you got from this episode is that we are all very Microsoft-minded. So please um, uh, teach us on other solutions that are out there, other solutions that we might need to use in our future endeavors, um, in our future projects. Please let us know if there are other cool solutions that you can use for build, deploy, logging, testing, that we definitely need to use. Um, I think that wraps up this episode on mobile DevOps. We were your hosts, Gerald Verslaus,
2: Stephen Davison. And Mark Alibone.
0: Thank you for listening. Stay safe, and we hope to hear you. Well, actually, you should hear us next week, Wednesday, on No Pointers.